Welcome to the Weekly Warrior Podcast, where we are forging genuine human connection through fitness, health, mindset, and nutrition. Let's get to the show with your hosts, Jared Bradford, Connor Edelbrock, and Corey Mueller. Welcome to episode, wow, 104 of the Weekly Warrior Podcast. You are tuned in with Connor Mueller. Yeah, right? Yes. Hi. Hi. And me, Jared. How are you doing, Con? Great. Good. I'm happy to be here with you. Yeah. So last time I told you a great story about uh, Mr. Rogers, Mm -hmm. and we are going to continue off this. So I'm going to tell you another story today. Okay. Yes, please. Yes, please. Okay. Mm-hmm. This one is is much different. It's Mr. Rogers. It was well. You go, guys. Go listen to the episode. It's very light and bright, and uh, it was fun. I had fun. This one is kind of on the other side of things of humanity. Okay. okay. It's not super dark, but you'll you'll see what it is. Also, want to plug that if you are watching this, please go down to the bottom of your app, if it's the Apple Podcast, and leave us a review. It helps us reach new audiences and spread our words of wisdom, I guess, if you want to call it, slash stories. So that that would help us out a lot. Without further ado, Connor, we are going to get into this. September 14th, 1877. Leonard Seppola was born in northern Norway. He was the oldest child of his parents, Isaac and Anne Seppola. By the way, I love your listening. I didn't mention this to you. Your listening skills or whatever, your writing down. Mm -hmm. I I love it. I fucking love it. I am trained in active listening. (laughs) Trained in the Jedi arts. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Okay. He was the oldest child of his parents, Isaac and Anne. His father was a blacksmith and a fisherman, and he built a rather large estate. Leonard initially was to follow in his father's footsteps, but in the year 1900, he immigrated to Alaska during what was called the Nome Gold Rush. So he is 1987. He's 20. No. Oh, God. Math. 33. He's 33. This is embarrassing. He's in his 20s or 30s. Okay, so 1900, goes to Alaska, gold rush. Obviously, uh, Alaska is very snowy and very cold. In his first winter in Alaska, he became a dog sled driver, as this was a main means of transportation in the region. Nome is a fairly remote town. Even today, there are just north of 3,000 permanent citizens. They do have a current-day airport and are connected with the rest of the world. But back in the early 1900s, it was mostly traveled by dog sled in the winter. There was no main roads, there were just trails. He greatly enjoyed dog sledding, especially, quote, the rhythmic movement of the dog's feet, end quote. Leonard would regularly put in 12 plus hour days with his dogs and would cover over 60 miles up to 100 miles in a day, when most others thought that a 30 mile run was a long day. So he's pretty much doubling up on all of what's usual for dog sledding. 
In the summer, Leonard would keep his dogs in shape by running them attached to a wagon on wheels. This was highly unusual at the time, as most other dog sled owners would not run their dogs once the snow thawed. So Leonard was really pushing the barriers and the limits to his dogs, and he had a very great expectation of them right away, right when he got them. And he, whereas, you know, most of us, like me, you, most anybody who's listening to this is like, our dogs are our pets. Mm-hmm. He looked at his dogs as a form of function rather than pet or getting emotionally attached. Um, he was very stern and just like, I need my dogs to perform. And he was doing this to race. Dog sled racing was huge in the region. There was fame and money involved, and this brought out much competition. It's important to note now that most dogs that ran in the big race of the time, the All-Alaskan Sweepstakes, were a breed called the Alaskan Malamutes, Malamutes, Mm -hmm. which were large, strong, and burly dogs, very capable of handling deep snow and cold temperatures. They were the classic race dogs. However, sometime between the year 1900-1905, the first Siberian Huskies were brought into the region. These dogs, Siberian Huskies, topped out around 50 pounds compared to their 85-pound Alaskan Malamute cousins. In 1909, a team won the Alaska sweepstakes with several Siberians on the team. Word got around, and one year later, in 1910, a full team of the Siberian Huskies were brought in and won all Alaska sweepstakes, which uh, they set a course record in their first year with a full team of Siberians. So Hmm. for who knows how long, these uh, Alaskan Malamutes were there in the region, and they were the main means of transportation. They were like like the Ford F-150 of the area forever. And then you bring in these Siberians, and it's like this is – you know, I don't know that now they, we got like Teslas with four wheel drive or something. They're, they're just the new thing that are like, they've discovered. They're uh, so they're lighter and faster. Yes. They're lighter yeah. and faster dog, um, mm-hmm. which logic says you attach a big dog, 20 big dogs, you're going to have more horsepower. So these Siberian Huskies, I don't think it was just a physical standpoint. I think those were just attributes, but they had a certain tenacity about them as well. Um, a mindset. We'll we'll get into more to that. Okay. In 1913, Seppala, this is Leonard Seppala, inherited his first team of race dogs from his longtime friend, uh, Jafet Lindenberg, who brought the dogs over from Siberia as a gift to a polar explorer named Roald Amundsen in hopes that he would use them for his trip to the North Pole. As far as I know, from what I saw, this Amundsen was the first guy to traverse the Northwest Passage and get to the North Pole. And um, he wanted this guy, uh, Jafet, wanted him to use his dogs to go there as just to be a part of the the trip. Mm -hmm. So Seppala was in charge of training the dogs for Amundsen. And Seppala said, quote, I literally fell in love with them from the start. I could hardly wait for sledding snow to start their training. And this was the beginning of a shift for Seppala. So he was usually the stern guy focused on function. And he still is, and he always was. But he 
kind of started to form a more of an attachment to the Siberian Huskies. How could you not? <laughs> They're so great. They're so They're cute. So I remember. Cute. Yeah. I remember, and he would probably like slap us for saying that. But I remember my neighbor had a Siberian Husky, and just the coolest dog. Like so, so cool, so chill. Mm-hmm. Um, when the polar explorer Amundsen canceled his trips a few weeks after the puppies arrived in Nome, Lindenberg gave them to Seppala. So now he has a team of Siberian race dogs. And they're, they're puppies, they're young, but he's grooming them and growing them and training them. Mm-hmm. In 1914, Seppala made the last-minute decision to enter his first race, the All-Alaskan Sweepstakes. The race did not go well at all for Leonard. He had a young team, the young Siberians, led by a dog named Sugin. Neither he nor the dogs knew the dangerous trail. A blizzard descended upon the team, and whiteout conditions caused them to lose the trail. Seppala feared that he would run off the cliff and into the Bering Sea below. Oh, God. As quick and as powerful. It's fucking terrifying, right? It's terrifying. These are, as I was writing this, I'm like, you kind of get lost in it. And you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, there's snow. But literally take a second and close your eyes and think about being in the middle of nowhere in Alaska with just dogs. And just, you know, you have nothing around you except snow and like a hint of a trail maybe and it's a blizzard and you're just feeling screwed and there's a cliff and you know there's a cliff somewhere somewhere we're not quite sure yeah yeah so as quick and as powerful as the storm blew in the conditions suddenly lifted and sure enough his team was off trail and not more than 20 feet from the steep cliff into the sea that would have killed him and his team of dogs so he caught a pretty significant break there. Just um, he, I think at that point, he was like, I have to stop and just wait this out. And mm-hmm. it, it paid off for him. By the time he and his dogs got out of that situation, the dog's paw pads were shredded, their claws were broken, and some formed frostbite. And that's pretty hard to do. These dogs are really bred to be... Siberia, the country, is literally one of the coldest places on Earth. And these dogs, that's where they came from. So it's significant for them to get Rosprite. Seppala withdrew from the race in shame. And as he felt, he abused the dog's loyalty and put them in danger. So good guy, Seppala. It took almost an entire year for the dogs to be healthy enough to run again. I think in our modern day, when I was writing this, I'm like, man, people think this is like dog abuse. But go back. This is 1914. This is a main means of transportation. And the race has been going on for for a long time. And this is just something that they did. Like It's just Mm -hmm. a cultural thing. The, the dogs, like, truly, from what I gathered, the dogs lived to do this. They loved it. And really, regardless if they came back with broken whatever, they just loved it. Mm, yeah, it's in their so, an- ancestry. Yeah, they're, they're made to run. Yeah. They're going to run. Seppala and his team rebounded the following year to win the All-Alaska Sweepstakes. However, he would compete and win in the next two years as well. The race was then suspended until 1983. With those three straight wins, we find ourselves around the year 1918, uh, 1919, and not much is said or told about his life, uh, Leonard Seppala, in the early 1920s. But from what I gathered about his life before this, I can assume he continues to race and train his dogs, as well as work in the mining industry. He has a homestead for him and his wife, along with his dogs in Nome, Alaska, and they are going steady and living off the land. So not only does he race these dogs, he has um, this group of Siberian Huskies now. He, I believe he had Malamutes still, and he was breeding, 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 breeding like crazy throughout these years. He was not only just a racer, he was a breeder, and he would sell the dogs and, and raise the dogs that he wanted to keep. 
With that in mind, let's jump back a few years. Actual records are scarce and unkept, but it is generally accepted that the year was 1913, a Siberian husky pup was born into Sepala's pack. This pup was born from a mother named Dolly, who was known as a, quote, foundation bitch. <laughs> and basically, what I gathered is this is the one dog in a generation that you kind of notice, like, something's different about this dog. Like, mm-hmm. evolution's taking place, and, like, you're like, this is the dog that really kind of moved the needle the most. Like, you really saw it in just this one uh, generation of dog. Mm-hmm. The dog's breed uh, kind of evolved through Dolly and took on new strengths. And this um, this pup that was born from it, you could the, the pups that were born from it, you could kind of tell. At the time, many of Gnome's finest dogs were found in Sepala's kennel. If you wanted a strong dog, you went to him and reserved a future pup from a future litter. However, this pup, born in 1913, was born weak, small, and had health problems. So with all the other pups in Dolly's litter, this pup was just kind of the runt. Yeah. It was, didn't really have a purpose. Sepala had no use for the undersized and unfit dog. He was given away to a neighbor. So again, Sepala's, although he fell in love with Siberians, he's still 100% focused on function. He's still focused on selling dogs and breeding them and building them up. It's a this business. Dog did it. It's a business. It's a business. Yeah. He's got to get rid of the weakest link. Yeah. Exactly. He had no use for runs. So he gave the dog away to a neighbor. Now, the story is that this did not sit well with the pup. Being given away sparked something. And the pup soon jumped through a window of the neighbor's home, broke the glass, and ran back to Sepala's homestead. Hmm. It's fucking adorable. <laughs> it seemed that Sepala would be stuck with the runt. Well, the runt being back, this did not sit well with Sepala, as he had no use for the dog. He is very stern and serious about his race team and raising them to be obedient. The pup was still too small for a harness, but would often break out of his kennel when Sepala would go out on summer runs with his dog team, and the pup would run alongside them. This would infuriate Sepala. It's clear that the dog was captivated by the sled team. And again... You, this dog sled in Alaska and dog sledding and, and mushers, this is so far out of my reality that like, I really have to sit back and just kind of take this in. Mm-hmm. Like this dude's in the summer running out on a wagon told by dogs and this little runt dog is just like running alongside them, breaking out, like breaking windows and just doing, he's like hell bent on being near Leonard Seppala for whatever reason. So this Captivation by the pup uh, led the pup to get too close to a large team of the Siberian Huskies in one occurrence, and he ended up ended up being mauled uh, by the other dogs for his mischief. But you can probably guess this didn't stop the pup. He continued to escape and ran alongside the pack. After about eight months, he finally wore Sepala down, and he was put in a harness. He was hooked to the team of sled dogs for the first time, and on that first day, the dog ran over 75 miles. He worked his way up to the lead spot at just eight months old. The pup's name was Togo. (laughs) 
Leonard had always wanted a formidable lead dog, and now he had found one. Remember, Leonard got Togo in 1913, and the pup was raised and grew into his lead dog uh, about the year 1914. This was the year that he entered the All-Alaska Sweepstakes, though Togo was still too young to run. This was the last year, uh, sorry, this was also the year that Leonard quit the race because he nearly got himself and his dogs killed. So Togo wasn't on this race with, uh, with Leonard. Remember, that was the year that he almost went off the cliff. Mm-hmm. Um, Togo wasn't with him. But the next year, Togo was with him. Togo was well-groomed in his lead role, and Leonard, of course, went on to win the next three All-Alaska sweepstakes with Togo at the helm. Togo became well-known over those years for his tenacity, strength, endurance, and intelligence on the trails. He was, by all accounts, famous in the region for winning races long and short, and Leonard and Togo became inseparable. So Togo's starting to break that emotional wall in Leonard Mm -hmm. for his dogs. Over the years, Togo continued his life as sled dog champion and became an integral member of the Sepala family. His life was relatively steady. He and Leonard lived in Nome and made a great living. That was until 1925, when Nome faced a dire crisis. Diphtheria outbreak hit Nome in 1925. So diphtheria is a bacterial infection that causes, it's pretty general illness really most of the time, sore throat, fever, cough, Mm -hmm. uh, in kids and adults. The cases tend to be mild, but up to 10% of those infected could die in an outbreak. Hmm. So you really have like these mild cases or it it seems like it's very black and white or you have really severe potentially death. 10% is really high, especially if we think about that in terms of our current situation the past two years where it's like, what is it? 1% ish, something like that. Mm -hmm. 10% substantial. So in severe cases, a gray or white patch forms in the throat of the infected person and the lymph nodes become swollen. This can block airways. That's not good. Further cases may lead to myocarditis, swelling of the nerves, kidney problems, Mm -hmm. abnormal heart rates, and bleeding problems due to low level of platelets. So pretty much it wreaks havoc on your system. I think it especially affected children and those who who have previously been been unexposed. Mm-hmm. People were scared. And they're in they're in a pretty remote area. They're they? in the middle of fucking nowhere. Yeah, they're yeah, in the middle so of nowhere. Yeah, so they're not like, getting the best medical care. No, no. And to get that, it's it's winter time too. So mm. it's it's a pretty shit situation for these guys. So basically, some of the residents that had been exposed previously were okay. They had immunity, um, though many had not, uh, including the children of the town, which, which were very high risk, one of which was Leonard's eight-year-old daughter. Mm. The good news is, even though it's 1925, there was a very viable and effective treatment. It was an antitoxin serum. However, the town was in very low supply, and the supply they did have was past its expiration date. And as Jess said, eh, you use it anyway. But... People are getting sick. Nome is an isolated town. It's the coldest winter on record in over 20 years. Literally the only way they're going to make something happen is by dog sled. Mm. With no time to waste, a relay of dog mushers were gathered and formed to expedite that delivery of serum. So basically they were going to have the serum move by train from the city of Nanana, get picked up by one dog team from there and travel to Nulato. Nulato where another dog sled team would take it back to Nome. 
there would be a trade-off and handoff along the way as well, relay style. So basically, you know, you're not sending one dog team all the way out and then all the way back. You're meeting kind of in the middle and then relaying it back. Oh, yeah. This makes sense. This would greatly cut down on risk of failure during the cold days and nights of travel and allow the serum to be in no much sooner. So, yeah, it also made a situation where, you know, one dog mush team picks it up at 8 p.m. and travels with it through the night, whereas, you know, a single dog team would have to rest. Mm. So it's just continuously moving. The entire trail from Nulato to Nome was 674 miles. By the time of the outbreak, Leonard was 47 years old, and Togo was a 12-year-old Siberian husky. That's pretty old for a dog. <laughs> that's really old for a yeah. Siberian husky. That's dang. That's pretty much almost at max. Uh, that's life expectancy for a Siberian husky. Yeah, especially an insanely active Siberian husky who's pretty much put his body through shit to mm-hmm. win races for 12 years. Yeah. Um, this is kind of the equivalent of like Michael Jordan coming out of retirement today. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Jordan's like late fifties, mm-hmm. early sixties, something like that. This is like significant for Togo to, to come out and try to do something. Mm-hmm. Both of these guys, Leonard and Togo by all standards were out of their prime, but with the fate of the town hanging in the balance, the residents knew that the experienced duo was their best chance at saving lives. Leonard and Togo, along with the rest of the dog team, were originally selected to travel over 400 of the 674 miles. Deaths began to mount from the disease, and there was no more time to waste. The journey was to begin. On January 29, 1925, Leonard and his 20 best huskies set out to Nome with Togo at the helm. The reason they were chosen was there was this really dangerous shortcut across what they called Norton Sound, which could Mm. save a full day of travel. Basically, the town decided that the most qualified of the relay mushers were to attempt this shortcut. The ice on Norton Sound was in constant motion due to currents from the sea and and the crazy, super strong wind that hit it. It ranged from rough hills of smashed together ice to slippery glare ice, which is extremely polished ice by the wind, where it was difficult for the dogs to get a foothold. Small cracks in the ice could suddenly widen, and Leonard and the team could be plunged into freezing water. Oh, if, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's end, that's like literally end game. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's so experienced, but a lot of this is, you have to be pretty lucky. You have mm-hmm. to have some luck. Yeah. If the wind blew from the east, it could reach speeds as high as 70 miles per hour, flipping over sleds, pushing dogs off course, and causing a wind chill as low as negative 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Holy That's hell. just un... I can't even fathom that. That's unimaginable. That doesn't even register in my brain. No. That's not real. It's not real. Mm-mm. Like, you think... Okay, what I've seen... I've been in, like, negative 20, maybe negative 30 degrees in Michigan. But, yeah. like, at, su- at some point, you're just like, it's just fucking cold. Yeah. 10 degrees to negative 10 degrees. I don't know what the difference is, really. But negative 100, like, that's death. That's death. Yeah, your lungs are freezing. (laughs) Yeah, these dogs are out there, too, with, Mm -hmm. you know, well, they're made to do it. But negative 100, what the fuck? Yeah. A sustained east wind could also push the ice out to sea. Uh, That's not good. 
A team caught on <laughs> a drifting sad. flow, yeah, that's not good, could find itself stranded on open water. And 1925, that you're dead. You might as well just be in, you might as well just jump in the water. You're mm-hmm. done. Seppala had taken the shortcut across the sound several times in his career. A less experienced musher was likely to lose not only his life and the lives of his dogs, but also the urgently needed serum. Seppala would cross the sound each way in the race to deliver the serum. So what I, how I kind of figure this is, it's tough to imagine it, but basically you have one point of land, one point of land, and instead of going around, right, mm-hmm. you're just kind of going across, right? So you're, you're saving a lot of time. I'm pretty sure that's what, what we're talking about here. He's crossing it once on the way there. Yep, so he's, he's going. He's crossing it again on the way back. Wow. And he's coming from Nome. And we'll get to more of the route later. But he basically, he's doing the most dangerous part. Mm-hmm. With temperatures around negative 30 degrees Fahrenheit, Togo and Leonard crossed the Norton Sound without incident on his way to retrieve the serum. Meanwhile, the number of cases of diphtheria continued to climb in Nome. Reacting to the alarming rise in cases, more mushers were added to the relay team. It was too late to inform Leonard that basically he was going to get the serum much closer to Nome than originally planned. Mm-hmm. So he was like hell bent on like going, you know, uh, pretty much over a hundred extra miles because that was the plan. But someone was coming closer to him. After three days of travel, about 170 miles, Leonard came in sight of another musher. It was Henry Ivanov who was part of the relay team. And Seppala knew this. He knew Henry, but he didn't realize who it was. They're out in the, the cold trail. You know, he's got a hood on. Everything's covered up. He noticed Ivanov was stopped to the side of the trail and was having trouble with his dogs. But Seppala had no intentions to stop or be delayed. As Seppala passed Ivanov, mm-hmm. Ivanov realized that it was Seppala. And he ran after Leonard down the trail yelling, stop, stop, the serum, I have it here. Leonard kept going. He only stopped because the dog stopped. Leonard's dog stopped. So Leonard and his dogs heard him at the last second and halted their mad dash. The serum had been retrieved, and it was now up to Togo and the team to return the serum to the next musher in the relay, some 170-ish miles away. So he was now going to take the serum from this point, about 80 miles outside of Nome, where he's going to give it to the last guy, and then the last guy would take it in. Mm. With the serum secured, night was falling on Seppala and his dogs and the low-pressure system were moving in. He had to decide whether to risk Norton Sound at night with high winds when he couldn't see or hear warning signs from the ice. But going around meant an entire extra day of travel. He chose to cross. So as far as navigation, I, I suppose that Seppala was so good at this, you know, you can see warning signs, cracks in the ice that looked like they were about to break apart. You can hear the ice starting to break apart and mm-hmm. at night and with all the wind, those were pretty much, uh, it was, yeah, it was, you're just, you're running. Seppala raced to Isaac's point, which was, uh, somewhere in, on Nor- in Norton Sound, on Norton Sound, Isaac's point was a pit stop of some kind. So he was racing there with Togo at the lead. As soon as they started crossing Norton Sound, gale force wind struck. This drove the windshield down to negative 85 degrees Fahrenheit. The team became stranded on an ice floe 
ice broke apart and now they're pretty much floating out to sea due to the high winds breaking up the ice. Seppala quickly untied Togo from the sled, tied him to a separate line, and tossed the dog across five feet of water to another ice floe. Oh my god. <laughs> Togo's 12 fucking years old. This is just, this is not real. Yeah, I, I don't even have words. The dog is so badass already. Okay, toss him across. Togo attempted to pull the sled and ice floe to, towards him, towards Togo. But the line snapped. Of course it did. <laughs> of course. So keep in mind, let's go back. There's 20 dogs with Leonard. This yeah. weight of the sled. He has 300,000 units of serum with him. Mm-hmm. He's got the sl- weight of the sled and he's Leonard as well. This is like 20 dogs. Okay. Picture. So Togo's by himself. The line snaps. Amazingly, this quick-witted dog grabs the line out of the water with his mouth, tossed it around his shoulders, and pulled the sled to safety. What a smarty pants. (laughs) (laughs) That's nuts. The dog was so wicked smart that he just knew what was going on. He was so in tune with, you know, part of it was probably due to Sepala's training and the bond that they had. The dog was so in tune with, like, the job, the job, the job, the job. As emotional as Togo was in the beginning, he kind of turned into that function dog, the ultimate function dog. And as much as he turned into a function dog, Sepala started turning into the emotional attachment human with a dog, you know? Mm-hmm. So they're both kind of shifting towards each other. It, and when I read that, he he literally pulled it out of the water with his mouth and tossed it in and pulled this, like... It's like, yeah, it's like having another human there with you. Really. Literally is. Literally is. Yeah. You, it's something you can count on. Mm-hmm. So when Sepala, Togo, and the dogs, they got out of that situation, um, Togo got them out. They arrived at Isaac's Point. They were exhausted. They had traveled 84 miles in a short period of time amid blistering wind and unimaginable circumstances. Norton Sound was not fully crossed yet. They had several more miles to go. On short rest at 2 a.m., the team set out again to meet the next musher of the relay. The storm intensified into a severe blizzard with winds up to 65 miles per hour. Conditions on the ice were perilous. Though they only had a few miles to go, the ice was breaking apart. There were soft spots where the dogs would step through into the freezing cold water. And they would go as fast as they could on little narrow ice paths with open water on both sides of them. Now when you tell me this stuff, I'm like, of course. Yeah, of course they're falling through the ice. Of course they have to do that. Bring it on, Satan. Of course. Bring it on. Yeah, bring it on. Why would they be able to just cross like it well, like on the way to get the serum? It wasn't going to be like that. Right. Yeah. No, that's not a good story. They need something dramatic. So when they finally reached the end of the sound, the ice broke up and drifted out to sea only hours later, leaving open water. Matter of hours, they either would have been dead on the ice, open sea, or they lose a day for going around. So they literally, this is one of those last second deals getting across. Yeah, this is such a high risk situation. In my mind, I'm thinking, just take the two days. Take the take the day on the way there, yeah. take the day on the way back. It doesn't yeah. seem worth the risk 
because there's so much uncertainty involved right. in and if you're going to make it and it's right. not even it's it's life or death it's okay we either waste a day or we save a day but we could die right and how do you weigh that option it's, it's it's a moral dilemma it's such a dilemma because the risk is there are kids dying back at the village and people dying back at the village right versus and so another day could mean dozens of more dead people in an already smaller village or you go across and maybe you save that day and everything's hunky-dory you get across and everything's fine but the risk is losing the serum like there's a lot riding here a lot of people yeah went through shit like the, they had to, well not really they didn't go through anything like uh Sepala and the boys did here or the girls um but there's still a ton of work that went into this relay race the serum run Mm-hmm. And this isn't like just a uh, flash in the bucket. This is like a lifetime thing going on. Like this was mm-hmm. countrywide. This ended up being extremely, um, it really gripped the news of the day. It was, it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. So there's a ton, a ton of risk. Yeah. But like, how do you weigh that? Because yeah, you're saving a day, but you know, I mean, going you... across, you could, you could lose a serum and then a lot more people die. Right. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking you could lose your life and the serum and then everyone's back to square one. Right. But I mean, that was, I think that was Seppala. I think that was Leonard. I think he, he was like, uh, he knew he was extremely smart. He's crossed this thing before and he thought he, he thought he could make it. Yeah. Um, And and his, you said his daughter was sick, right? Right. So he's really, he's very motivated to get the serum back. Yeah. For others, yeah. but also his own daughter. Right. I don't, I don't know if the, he, she was actually sick, but she was eight years old. Mm. So she was okay. higher risk. So okay. I'm not sure if she was sick, but still there's an emotional pull there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, just an insane thing. Just insane. I couldn't imagine, but they, they crossed Norton Sound. So with that behind them, they now faced one more challenge, climbing an eight mile ridge that led up to Mount McKinley. The trail here was steep, slick, and exposed to the elements. Eight miles is a long way, and it's all uphill. So again, I was like, eight miles, you read it, and you're like, eight miles up a cliff. Okay. It's like, just put it up, go, like, take your mind back to what they have to do, going up a hill, cliff, mountain, in the snow. These dogs are literally pulling everything. And it's just, it's a wild thing to think about. They were all exposed to the elements. The dogs struggled, and it was a grueling task for the sleep-deprived team who had already raced 260 miles in just four and a half days, which is insanity. The dogs, exhausted, bruised, and wounded, made the pass without major incident, and at 3 p.m. reached the town of Golovin, where the next musher was met. The serum was passed off, and the final 78 miles were underway. Musher Gunner Kaizen and his team of sled dogs took the serum the final 78 miles into Nome. They were welcomed as heroes of Nome, and the town was saved with the serum. The dog at the head of this pack that brought the serum into Nome went by the name of Balto. Who got all the glory. Sepala, Togo, and his team of dogs would take days to recover before being able to begin their journey back to Nome. This relay became known as the Great Race of Mercy.
Tyson and Balto went on to become famous and known as the Heroes of Gnome. A statue was erected in New York Central Park honoring Balto not one year following the events of the serum run. So again, the serum run like blew up nationwide. It was mm-hmm. it was huge, huge news. Um, Balto coming into Gnome got all the press and all the recognition because it was that, that, that was where all the media came from, frankly. The, the Balto was line. there. It's the yeah. finish line, and he got there first. It, that's mm-hmm. kind of like what the idea that was taken. Mm-hmm. I don't think people realized that it was a relay. I think mm-hmm. it was taken as this team of Balto and Kaizen brought the serum to know. Mm-hmm. However, the insiders knew that it was really Togo that saved Nome. Seppala would go on to the lower 48 states with his dogs and race once more in a friendly with a New England musher. At this time, Seppala also took his dog team, including Togo, um, on kind of a victory tour of the in the lower 48s. Um, so they started to gain some recognition for what they did. Um, but then they kind of, they hooked up with this friendly race in New England, and this would be Togo's final race. He was victorious on an unknown trail to him against a much younger and more athletic group of race dogs. So once again, Togo is a badass and strikes even in a friendly race. And he's 13 years old. I was going to say, he's probably 13 at this point. He's so old. You would think, okay, this dog turning like 11 or 10, you'd be like, ah, he's he's done. Mm-hmm. This dog turns 12 and he does this crazy otherworldly thing. Just running the serum run was one thing, but the dude pulled an entire sled to safety onto uh, like across ice. And then now he goes and wins another race a year later. Age ain't no thing. <laughs> Age ain't no thing. Yeah. Not for Togo. Boy's going to run. The friendly race drew a huge crowd and the enthusiasm behind the serum run and Balto made dog sledding pretty popular. Sapella brought his Siberian Huskies to New England. This was the start of the spread of Siberian Huskies throughout the lower 48 states. That's pretty significant, and I think that's yeah. pretty pretty damn cool. Sepala bred Togo, and his descendants were the top demand among mushers of the time. Mm. A new breed was named, titled Sepala's Siberian Sled Dog, after Togo. Sepala and his breeding partner, Elizabeth Ricker, opened a kennel in Maine. Leonard made the decision to give Togo to Elizabeth while he moved back west. He moved back west, I believe, to Seattle. When recalling Togo, Leonard stated, quote, It was a sad parting on a cold gray morning when Togo raised a paw to my knee as if questioning why he wasn't coming along with me. I never had a better dog than Togo. His stamina, loyalty, and intelligence could not be improved upon. Togo was the best dog that ever traveled the Alaska Trail. End quote. For the next several years, Togo would live a relaxed life with a well-deserved rest. In later months of 1929, Togo's health began to decline. Here we go. I'm not going to (laughs) cry. He had mobility issues that prevented him from walking and presented with uh, significant skin issues as well as neuritis, which is painful, extremely painful, nerve pain. Um, Leonard was called to Togo's side. With the pat and pull on the dog's thick scruff, Leonard said goodbye to his old friend. 
The decision was made to put Togo out of pain. The triumphant dog was 16 years old. Oh my gosh. That's nuts. Cephalus soon closed his kennel in Alaska, and his remaining dogs were given to a friend, Harry Wheeler. According to the Siberian Husky Club of America, all of the breed's registered dogs can trace their lineage back to Cephala's kennel. Cephala would move to Seattle, where he settled down for the remainder of his life with his wife. He would visit Fairbanks, Alaska, and was welcomed with a warm reception by the Alaskan people. He would pass away at the age of 89 in 1967. The Leonard Seppala Humanitarian Award was formed and is given yearly to the musher who is judged to give the best care to his or her dogs. Over the years, Moore began to realize and recognize Togo as the true hero of Nome. In 1983, his story, along with a cast of his body, it wasn't an actual body, just his fur, was put on display in the Ida... I, 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 I don't know how to say Urban Gerbenfer. Urban Gerbenfer. <laughs> it's I it it oh, fuck dude. Mm-hmm. Just go with that. It Tarad Race mm-hmm. HQ in Alaska. Some sort of dog racing HQ in Alaska. Sorry, Togo. Um he's there. His body, his skin is his skin and fur are there on display. Mm. In 2019, a movie was made by Disney titled Togo recounting the story of the serum run and the heroics of the legendary dog with Willem Dafoe playing Leonard Seppala. It can be streamed on Disney plus. I assume you've seen it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We watched it maybe two years ago. Yeah. I think I yeah. watched it right when it came, right when Disney plus came out, it was one of the first kind of mm-hmm. big movies that were, ex- was exclusive. And as far as storytelling, it was like one of the, the best movies I had seen mm-hmm. in a long, long time. Uh, Willem Dafoe is is excellent in it. Yes. They really, man, it's just one of those movies. Like any movies with a dog is going to pull at your strings. And they do a perfect mm-hmm. job of balancing like the function versus the emotional side of it. Yeah. I, yeah. I cried a lot. Yeah. I, I was going to say that's that was the first movie I cried to in like years. Yeah. Straight up tears. Watched it alone. Didn't care. Um, As far as Balto getting his statue in Central Park, it is still there, Mm -hmm. uh, as it should be. Balto played an extremely important role. And the truth is that all of those dogs were heroes, uh, but none of them had to face what Togo had to face. And as old as Togo was, he deserves a lot of of Mm -hmm. credit for getting the serum back. There is a statue of Togo in Alaska in one of their main parks. Mm. And that was erected in a long time ago. So they, they know who Togo is up there. He's, he's famous. As for Seppala's final thoughts on Togo and his great serum run, he summed it up as this. Quote, Afterwards, I thought of the ice and the darkness and the terrible wind and the irony that men could build planes and ships. But when Nome needed life in little packages of serum, it took the dogs to bring it through. It's wonderful. Yeah, I love it. The, and you know what's I think about this too is like the mushers play an important role. Like Leonard and Seppala and like those other mushers played an important role in this. But there are so many accounts, I guess, of mushers like getting injured or passing out or dying, and the dogs like take the trail home. Mm. So mm-hmm. 
if something was to happen to Sepala, Togo would be able to cross Norton Sound. Togo would be able to go all the way to where he needed to go and lead, and lead the team. So, like, you could, you know, the mushers obviously, you know, were going here and blah, 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 and they lead the way and tell the dogs when to stop. Mm-hmm. But somehow, you know that they would have found their way back if something would have happened. Mm-hmm. Which I think even more credit goes to these dogs, and just an incredible story. Yeah, I'm I'm speechless right now. It's it's so hard for me to fathom all the events that happened. Yeah, and the fact that these huge teams of dogs are able to to do that and accomplish something like that. Yeah. A lot of miles in a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. So, our man Togo, he brought it home. 